Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Jonathan Talat Phillips. Welcome, Jonathan. Oh, thank you. It's it's great to be here. Real pleasure. Um, I have a fairly long written bio, bio of Jonathan in front of me here, but we decided I'm not going to read that. I'm just going to make a few points, and then he'll fill us in on the details. Um, I became uh, f- acquainted with Jonathan when he emailed it's me. It's a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. It's Everyone lot. does it, Rick. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. And Talat is your Sufi name, and we'll get into why you have that. Um, yeah. But I became, became became acquainted with you when you emailed me and, and sent me a copy of your book, um, The Electric Jesus, The Healing Journey of a Contemporary Gnostic. And I get a lot of books, and I you know kind of like didn't even look at it at first. And eventually I sort of read a little bit, and I thought, well, this guy's interesting. I, I'm going to schedule him. And then, I, as I do with various authors, I asked for certain chapters that I should read if I don't have a chance to read the whole thing. But I really enjoyed the book, so I ended up reading it cover to cover and just finished it last night. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, great story, interesting stuff, and we'll get into a lot of what you discussed in the book. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty quick read, too. Right? It is. It's not like, you know, War and Peace. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, you are the co-founder <clears throat> co- of Evolver.net and Reality Sandwich, and um, it's funny, just this morning I was looking up something from the Yoga Sutras that I wanted to bring into the conversation today, and the best reference I found for it was on Reality Sandwich. Uh, it just happened to be. Nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. So, um, and, uh, so we're going to you know, get into what co- Evolver and, and Net and Reality Sandwich are. I just wanted to say, um, you know, doing this show stretches me a lot because I talk to a different person each week and I kind of get into their world and, and listen, read their book, listen to their interviews and stuff. And it, it always, it never fails to kind of, you know, clear away some hidden assumptions that I had or expand my perspectives in a different way. And um, your book did that for me in spades. Um, I was reminded of that, that line from Hamlet, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. So I would uh, encourage people listening to just suspend any sort of rigid attachment to an understanding of the way things necessarily are, if you f- have such attachments, and just you know, let yourself uh, get into Talat's world and, and consider the possibilities of what he's talking about. And he's not talking about them, won't talk about them as absolutes, but as possibilities. As like, yeah, I don't know what this is, but it sure seemed real to me, and, and wow, what are the implications of it? That, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, so where should we start? Yeah. If I could just add, because it will be part of the conversation too, is... Part of my bio is I'm a bioenergetic healer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been working for six years, Reiki master. And so a lot of bioenergetic healing is like it's therapy with energy healing and using spirit, actually, to help help with the therapeutic process. So I really believe in that. And I have a website, talathealing.com, if people are interested in checking that out. And I'll be linking to all that stuff, you know, Evolver and Reality Sandwich and Talat Healing all from BadGap.com. So people, will, you don't have to stop your car and write this down. You can, <laughs> you can follow it later. Yeah. And obviously, you didn't start out as a bioenergetic healer. You, you started out as a, you know, typical hedonistic, uh, agnostic, young fellow in Colorado, and then one thing led to the next. Yeah, I mean, when you were talking about. 
suspension of disbelief or suspend um I can relate like if any topic that I talk that we talk about here is weird let it be weird uh, like I I really love the skeptics pack path it, it was my path and still is to some degree but I mean the great thing about gnosis is it's it's a word meaning direct knowledge direct experience so it's a different kind of wisdom where you know a preacher a teacher they can't just tell you what it is and you believe it i've i've never done that right. i i i've never believed church or any of these things um but having direct experience you you start to come to understand what a lot of initiates from the different traditions across the planet have really been saying throughout the centuries mm-hmm. yeah and so you know not only should you not worry about taking things with a grain of salt you should take things with a grain of salt and you know let experience be the the you know final arbiter of their truth or or falsehood don't 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 take anything on faith you know? exactly and the great thing about the skeptics path is like any truth they own they really owned it it's not like these new agey folks who are like oh yeah that sounds great and they just accept you know it's like a battle <laughs> yeah so those little lights of truth that come in and then they get bigger and bigger so i really love the skeptics path but it probably because it's my own mm-hmm. no i think it's it's in a way it's a scientific path you know a, a, a scientist is a skeptic he doesn't believe something because somebody told him he believes it when it can be experientially uh verified and um and even then he's open to the possibility that some new experiment is going to you know uh refute his findings and it might he might have to throw the whole thing out and start over again yeah and that's a good scientist that's an open-minded scientist that hasn't been stuck in his dogma in the paradigms that he was trained in because i mean i i had a real frustration of jade in the book mm-hmm. uh, she's one of the main characters she, she's super fun but she um her brother was a doctor and when i started seeing energy fields you know i had told him this and he just did not believe me he did not believe there was human energy fields and so i just told him like well okay if you don't believe me let me show you there's a very easy way to show people energy fields mm-hmm. and he's like i don't want to see that <laughs> so he's not a scientist yeah well yeah. wait if the human body is actually energetic and electric and you're a doctor and this, it has a great significance i i actually think we can't heal so many diseases especially things like depression and um even cancers uh without that knowledge and he he just was like no I don't want to hear <laughs> I don't want to yeah. look I want to find out and that that didn't seem like the scientific path to me no it really isn't it's it's a kind of a, a diluted version of it you know um but a, if you're really true to the spirit of science then you you're open to all possibilities yeah and, and something I love about bioenergetic practice is it's, it's a little bit of a game and you pay attention you have to play by the rules mm-hmm. and one rule is you have no idea where it's going and everything's experiment and somehow by this unfolding process the healing will emerge but it's it's actually you're kind of lost in experimenting throughout the whole time until you connect with the energy the shadow component that needs to be brought in for union and then the healing reveals itself to you it's it's so it's so beautiful but it it is that kind of surrender to experience mm. and on the theme of science i like to think that Everything is a valid scientific theory. Does God exist? Do angels exist? Do aliens exist? Uh, you know, anything, any question you can ask, it can be explored, really, in, in, a, in accordance with the principles of the scientific method. You know, repeatable experiment, you know, having others be able to follow the steps you took and, and arrive at the same conclusion. Uh, it's just that you have to 
kind of bring into the equation the human nervous system as a scientific instrument and not just limit yourself to instruments external to the nervous system. Right, which I feel like quantum physics is now showing that with the observe, observer affecting the observed. And, you know, Rick, when you're saying this, I'm thinking about, you know, my book I talk a lot about the ancient mystery schools mm -hmm. because they tracked this science. They were studying astronomy. They were studying math mathematics. I mean, look at Pythagoras. He was a, a mystery school initiate. Um, they were studying all these things about what we would call science, but part of that science, and probably the most important part, was the science of consciousness and the science of the universe. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, the initiate's path of... Uh, if you're going to study the universe, you've got to study energy. Yeah. Because the whole universe is energy, and I think it's spiritual energy. It's it's the consciousness to it, um, to us. You know, <laughs> this being that's the universe is constantly um, changing and present with us. And the mystery schools had a real path and a trajectory to go through that. Right now, I'm with them. I've been working with the Santo Daime Church. Do you know them? I know them through listening to you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I had I had heard of them, but I learned more about them listening and you know listening to you. I mean, I just think it's incredible because I was looking, I was reading the ancient Gnostics. Now I don't read the ancient Gnostics anymore because I practice with modern-day Gnostics. Mm -hmm. And the hymns that come through, they, they're actually received. I didn't believe that for the longest time. I thought people wrote these hymns down. They're the medicine songs that come in. But then you start seeing your friends actually receive the hymn, and you're like, oh, okay, they're, they're delivered. They're these gifts from higher-dimensional beings. At least that's what the daime would say. So it's received and actually sung spontaneously, uh, extemporaneously. It's not like cognized and then written down and then sung later. It, it, it could be it, however you track it. A lot of times they receive it and they do it into an iPhone recorder, you know, just like that. Yeah, yeah. and then you bring it to the works. They're they're not called ceremonies; they're called works because man, they they really are works. And um, and we sing them, but they they each they'll call in different beings to come clean us and help us. And so it's this ayahuasca church where the men are on one side, the women are on the other. There's no shaman because we're all we're all supposed to be training to be our own shamans and help each other. And they call in what's called the Force, this high vibrational energy. It's very Star Wars-like in that sense. Uh, and the Force is like this what they would also call the Holy Spirit, the Holy Light. It comes in and it circulates. So they've created a magnet. It's very like quantum physically. It's it's a very smart spiritual healing technology. Masculine pull on one side, feminine on the other bring in the high vibrational energy and it circulates through the singing and the opening of the hearts and it clears us out and it illuminates the uh, human energetic body. So it's a pretty powerful thing. And in this church, the, it's a mystery school. So they're always talking about everything's a lesson and they, they, it's constantly talking about the science of the universe and learning the science. And part of the science, they say, is just what you're saying. It's like opening it up to the potential of angelic forces or, you know, celestial beings and uh, even, like, the, the power of the stars to heal us if we can connect with them. Stuff like in the earth. Yeah. Did this church uh, exist hundreds of years ago or is it some kind of new thing that just developed? It's, it's new. And what, that's actually something that really surprises me is the depth and breadth of the work for how short it is. Because Who founded it? In 1935, I think, well, 1930s, there was, um, there was this uh, six-foot-five black rubber tapper named, uh, we call him Master Neo, mm -hmm. 
and he was drinking with some shamans, and he had this vision where he was taken up into the celestial realms, these beautiful kind of heavenly realms. The Gnostics would have called that the Pleroma. And he met this kind of fusion of the Virgin Mary with the Divine Mother of the Cosmos and the Queen of the Forest, the Queen of Nature, this, this Mother Spirit. And she said to him, the Christian doctrine has been completely corrupted across, or has been corrupted across the planet. We want you to replant the sacred doctrines in the holy light. And so it, that's where the Daime ceremony started. And I want to make a note on replanting the doctrine, because that's constantly said throughout Master Neo's hymns. And I wondered what that meant until I met a, another Daime friend that had been studying Christianity and mushrooms, and there's some great books about that. Uh, John Allegro writes a really good book about that. Um, do you know the name of that, Rick? John Allegro? Yeah, the, the name of the book. Like no, mush- I can look mush- it up. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know it either. But if you look up John Allegro, you'll find a book about mushrooms and the cross. And he starts showing me this friend all these ancient paintings of Jesus with mushrooms. Sometimes uh-huh. it would be on the the Last Supper table as the the body of Christ. Sometimes, often what they would do is they would hide them. They would hide them in, if you look at the top of a jar, it'll be very obvious that it's a mushroom shape. Or in his robes, in a lot of St. Michael's robes, there'll be mushrooms. And some of these are not too subtle. The Sacred, liter- the sacred Mushroom and the Cross, 40th, that's the name of the book. John Allegro, A-L-L-E-G-R-O. Yeah, that's the that's probably the most famous book on that topic. And in these images, it'll actually have somebody leaning down at the mushroom and winking at you, the viewer, saying, "Pay attention to this." Mm. So, and and I did get you know, as we say, like a download in the ceremony once of like, yes, this is an ancient practice. The the initiates through the other traditions too have have also been using plant medicines, and I call them plant amplifiers to accelerate their evolution. But they're also dangerous, you know, so you've got to do it in a really good setting. Yeah, but, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I, I have a young friend who um, lives in my town who took an ayahuasca trip, I think, in New York City. Could have been with you guys, I don't know. But it totally destabilized her. She's been in and out of mental hospitals and having all kinds of problems. And, and you know, so this stuff is not to be approached uh, without caution. Yeah, I mean, just so Daime is not ayahuasca. She said she went to ayahuasca. It was probably ayahuasca. Apparently so, yeah. Yeah, I, I won't even do ayahuasca ceremonies anymore because even those are too wild west for me. The Daime, Daime drives people crazy because it's we're in white outfits, we wear little ties. It's very rigid. Uh, so you're not actually ingesting any substances during a Daime ceremony? Oh, yeah, we do, It's but it's a version of ayahuasca. It's like a... a it's got more of the shikruna, more of the DMT plant to take you up. Mm. Like you don't have these visions of the vine, of the vine like you do on ayahuasca. And there's different beings you work with. There's different prayers. Mm. Uh, but yeah, and I like the rigidity of it because it's so safe. Uh, because I go to all these festivals and all these kids are like, "Yeah, man, I'm just doing mushrooms and I have ecstasy and this and that and this and that." And meanwhile, they're totally ungrounded. Their fields are open. Stuff can get in. And, you know, I'm kind of like, have you eaten today? You know, yeah. maybe do a little stretching or, you know, get grounded. Yeah. But, well, but the reason, with, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say with the mystery schools, though, they, they knew how to create safe containers for this. 
And it's across the planet. Uh, you know, yoga, I get a little frustrated when yoga classes say, you know, you should not do any, you know, entheogenic substances because yoga probably started with entheogenic substances, with soma, you know, that magical elixir that there's some evidence it may have been mushroom tea that when that, that was lost, they then needed to develop this amazing scientific system of, 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 for getting back to those states of consciousness. Well, that's what I was looking up that I actually found on Reality Sandwich because I knew that there was a, a verse in the Yoga Sutras and I found it. it. It goes, cities are born of practices performed in previous births or by herbs, emphasis there, mantra, repetition, asceticism, or by samadhi. Um, so and that's by Patanjali, who's the founder of yoga, whom any self-respecting yoga yogi would respect and, and you know acknowledge as as an authority. And, and as an in interesting little aside, which will kind of pique your interest, Patanjali was said to be an incarnation of a divine serpent. Uh, <laughs> he he was an incarnation of Sesha, who is the you you see in those Hindu icon, iconographies uh, that thousand-headed snake and Vishnu is reclining on him. Uh, anyway, that's who Patanjali is supposed to be. But obviously, churning the cosmic energy of the he's like churning the milk of the cosmic sea. Mm -hmm. That energy, yeah. And I mean, if you Rick, that's a pretty good. Concoction for transformation. That that one line you you read there, mm -hmm. uh, with with the different modalities to get there. I, I, I think yeah. that's powerful. Which is not to say you have to do them all. Um, I mean, you know, I interview people who just awoke one day. They were minding their own business, and boom, must. And I often suspect there had been progress made in past lives, which culminated in this awakening. Um, and you know, mantra practice over time can or mantra meditation of, uh, of the right kind can unfold, you know, profound degrees of awakening. And so there's a number of, there's, you know, different paths to the same thing. Um, I mean, would you agree? Would you, would you say that, like, you know, we should have ayahuasca 101 in high school, or, or is it more like if that's your path, maybe you're going to gravitate to that, but it's not necessarily for everybody? Oh, God, ayahuasca is not for most people. Right, okay. I mean, that's high-octane. Uh, evolution, you know, you, 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 it's like rocket fuel. You can get from LA to New York a lot quicker. Or you could blow up in the sky. So I, yeah. I, it's it, it, only people that feel called, and you always know it when they're called for ayahuasca. They're like, I need to do this. Hmm. If it's like, oh, I'm sort of thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do uh, it. A few months ago, some guy actually offered to buy me a plane ticket to Peru because he was going down there to take ayahuasca, and he wanted me to go with him. And I just felt like. Uh, Safety first, you know. It's 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 not my trip. I I'm not clo oh, close to the possibility for all time, but I just didn't feel the pull, as you say. I mean, I've been meditating for 44 years. That's been serving me well. I just didn't feel like throwing some unknown thing into the mix. Yeah, it's pretty special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I might totally love it. I have no idea, but I, it might also fry some circuits. I, I mean, I'm you know I'm a child of the 60s, and you know. There were a lot of LSD casualties, and you know, as I read your book, uh, it struck me that ayahuasca must be different than LSD because if anybody took as much LSD as you've taken ayahuasca, I wouldn't be able to conduct an interview with them. <laughs> you know, they'd would, be like all over the place. I tell you, I, I feel um, I'm so grateful I'm not in the 60s. You know, I used to wish I was in that time period because it seems so exciting. But man, LSD, I think is. It's 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 not like when you go to Ellis like I just saw Magic Trip or Magic Bus, um, the documentary about Ken Kesey. Ken Kesey. Kesey. 
I haven't yeah. seen it, but I know about Ken Kesey, sure. There was like not one word about healing through that entire mm. movie. And they're all like, yeah, we're going to trip. We're going to see these cool things. We're going to do this. And I was like, I, w- I always thought I wanted to be on that bus. And I'm like, there's no way. I would much rather be in a daime ceremony mm-hmm. where it's safe, it's healing. I get my... I got my life back through Daime, though. Um, maybe we'll get into this, but I, I realized my whole next book's going to be called Warrior Healing, How I Illuminated My Demons, because the black bowling ball that I talk about in The Electric Jesus, my next book is Discovering What That Is, which was a an energy healing. We call this a parasitic astral attachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an energy parasite that's stuck in the human body, and it's spirit possession, quite literally. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people suffering from depression, from anxiety, bipolar, especially schizophrenia, hearing voice, I was hearing voices, was because of this astral attachment. And it took me, it was a three and a half year battle. I was in panic attacks eight to ten hours a day. Um, and through the daime, through yoga, through deep tissue work, and actually, you know what really helped was yoga with in deep tissue with the plant amplifier of what we would call Santa Maria, which is sacralized cannabis. Uh, in the daime, you pray, you do the, the rosary to um, Santa Maria, and it, it sacralizes it, and you can connect with this being. And I was able to get my life back and get my energy body back, and the voices went away and the depression and all these things as I illuminated this demon. Um, and they become an ally. So it's it's a little bit, we're going deep here, but I feel really called to this work because I, I see all these people suffering and they don't even have a spiritual perspective, so there's no way to actually tr- treat and address and treat it. Whereas, like, I think if you went to a psychiatrist and said he was suffering bipolar depression, schizophrenia, the, 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 the eight panic attacks, and they're gone. That's pretty. That's pretty phenomenal, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you went with those symptoms, you'd just be loaded down with a lot of drugs, and. You know. And I and I yeah, and I tried that route, Rick. I did. Uh, I just tried some uh, Xanax and some anti. Oh, it it was just deadening, dis- right? Deadening. Yeah. I remember but, just one time during my drug days in the '60s, I, a friend and I took a tranquilizer just for fun because we didn't have anything else, and, and God, it was so. I didn't even take a, a lot. I just took a regular dose, and I just felt so numb. I thought, God, people live like this? <laughs> but, you know, there was a time where numb was good. Like, if if I could have gotten numb, that would have been okay, but it didn't work. Yeah. It was so like, it took all the bliss out, even though I didn't have a lot of bliss in those days, but it was sort of like this flatness that was kind of very distasteful to me. It's very of our culture. You know, the more I get into healing, the more I realize it's multidimensional and creative. It's artistic. It's nature-based. And we live in such a flat world that doesn't honor so much of the different energetic centers in the body, the sex chakra, the, the creative chakra. It's like, we, we, you know, you, you brought up high school. Should we be teaching the Ayahuasca 101? Well, I definitely think we need to bring drama back and you know, the music and because just the math and science is actually killing our souls and another thing on top of that is we're just not taught how to be human like how to listen to another person uh, the bullying uh, and the psycho- psychop- psychopathic 
popularity contests and the the shootings for me it's all just endemic of uninitiated culture and I would say that for some, for those for whom it's their dharma, math and science can be a wonderful, exhilarating, beautiful, mystical thing, you know, if you're cut out for it. But obviously it gets budgeted. Uh, all the, That becomes the mainstay of, of education, and, and the more artistic things get budgeted out. And, you know, and that's deadening for a lot of people. Well, and I, but I think the science is artistic, too. Like, we never... There's a whole connection between... I mean, Evolver, first of all, in reality sandwich, people are nuts about science because it's so it's so much about consciousness. I mean, like especially like design scientists like Buckminster Fuller. What I'm seeing a little bit, it's we're we're segregating and isolating the sciences. It's almost like how we create aspirin or something, whereas we could actually just eat the whole. What, what is aspirin come from? A bark or something like that? Yeah, it does. It comes from a tree bark. And, and you know, some of these cultures will actually have the tree bark, and it'll cure the headache versus isolating and separating because I think if you got this you really need scientists and artists meet, connecting more and the scientists are artists um, I really like the renaissance uh, construct of having a complete education it's an interesting point you make about the uh, somebody just skyped me from Nepal I'm going to put my Skype on do not disturb calling <laughs> <laughs> Um, interesting point you make about the plants and, and extracting their essence and turning it into a, a pharmaceutical because um, it's argued in Ayurveda that you really need the whole, to, to really get the intelligence of the plant, you need the whole thing in a synergistic, holistic way. And if you just dis try to distract, extract the chemically active component and use that as a drug, you miss the whole point. You, you lose the, the overall, uh, if intel you, the intelligence to the plant is lost. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's some DMT enthusiasts. Do you know D DMT? Uh, only through you, mainly. <laughs> you're, you're corrupting me, man. I know. <laughs> I'm sure there's some DMT enthusiasts out there that would uh, would argue against that. Um, I have a friend, my buddy Mitch Schultz. He directed this movie called DMT: The Spirit Molecule, which All is right, yeah. it's getting a lot of traction out there in the certain festival mm -hmm. and uh, uh, spiritual counterculture circuits and things mm -hmm. like that. I think he's got over a quarter of a million Facebook views now. So it's, a lot of people are smoking DMT. And what happens is it shoots you out of this, like, cannon across the universe. It's The, the realms are almost always, like, animated and wild. And they I, I, they meet spirits. They meet... Uh, the, the machine elves are quite popular. But it's all visual and quick and over. Um, and I've done DMT twice with very positive experiences. But I don't know if I'd do it again. I like... Ayahuasca, well, daime and ayahuasca, they have DMT in it, but it's it's not synthesized. Mm. You know, it's done through this cooking process with the a vine that has um, MAO inhibitor, so your your stomach can actually, um, so you can process the DMT and stuff. Mm. And instead, you get the, these much longer journeys where you know, healing happens. Yeah. And I asked Mitch, okay, DMT or ayahuasca, what do you prefer? And he's like, oh, ayahuasca even though he did a whole movie on DMT. Well, you know, one um, doubt that comes up in my mind, and I, I thought of it a lot as I read your book, is that... Um, <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, for instance, ecstasy, MD, whatever it's called. The, the, you know, MDMA. Right, yeah. yeah, that acronym. Um, I've heard 
that it, it sort of mimics uh, serotonin and it kind of locks up the, the serotonin recept receptors in your, in your nervous system. Uh, but somehow afterwards, you're less capable of producing your own serotonin. I mean, I might be wrong about this, but I've heard that. And um, I wonder if, if the body can't, I don't want to, if the body can't be its own pharmacopoeia to a much greater extent than we're giving it credit here, and that natural, you know, maybe the yogis are right that natural techniques of meditation and other types of things um, can uh, induce the secretion or the production of these things from within us without having to rely on external substances. But, you know, that sounds like too absolutist a statement because I wouldn't rule out the external substances, but I'm wondering if you pay a price in terms of your uh, kind of weakening your ability to produce them naturally from within if you get in the habit of taking them from without? Well, I, I think you've asked a really great question. Um, maybe we should give it a couple parts and have a little dialogue around this because what I would like to do is give a little context to the MDMA um, section in that book and like why it was so important to me so people, and I think they can maybe relate with my story a little more too, mm -hmm. um, that I had been a political activist uh, really fighting in, in very flamboyant ways, as you know, Rick, from reading the book. Johnny America. Johnny America, leading an American revolu revolution against King George II in his corporate, we dressed up these very flashy kind of like Bootsy Collins meets Benjamin Franklin patriots. And when Bush won that second election, I fell into a dark night of the soul. I was looking at the planetary situation, you know, three species dying per hour on the planet. And I was really stuck. And it was too big, I knew, for governments, for economies, for any of the systems we had. So, you know, I was looking for some type of paradigm shift, a way of seeing things differently. And, you know, I looked in all sorts of places, and it wasn't until my 30th birthday where... You know, the line where Jamie says, you need to take some MDMA and get your ass on the dance floor, that I finally got out of my head and in my heart and connected with community in this higher vibrational way. It was like the red pill in the matrix deprogramming me from this parasitic, hierarchical, dominant, very cruel paradigm that we were brought up in and unconscious of in this society. And there's a lot of joy and beauty here too, but it's it's a death system, generally speaking, of the way these systems are set up, at least where we're at in this stage of evo societal evolution. And the MDMA activated my heart chakra. It activated my third eye. I yeah, started so, so it was a catalyst. It, it kick-started you. It's a catalyst. But that said, do I do MDMA anymore? No. Because right. I mean, that, was, that was my experience back in the 60s. The first time I smoked grass, first time I dropped acid, it was like it, it was a major shift. But after a year... Of doing it, I was. I had dropped out of high school. I, you know, I was a total mess. I was paranoid. I was confused. <laughs> you know, and so it, it, you know, you can see why I have a little bit of <laughs> skepticism. Obviously, at least about continuing usage. And I, th I think a lot of people they get started and, and they don't stop until they've done a lot of damage to themselves. Yeah, and then a lot of people use it responsibly, and it, it creates some of the most magical moments of my life. Are entheogens and sex? Those are yeah. just awesome moments in my life that I keep going back to. Um, so, have, but have you met people who've like been doing ecstasy for years now, and and it's, it's obviously taken a toll? Not so much. The okay. the ones I've seen are some of the kids in the '90s that were doing meth 
at raves. Oh, meth, of course. I've seen. I, I really think meth and cocaine have a, a very demonic. There, there's demonic energies associated with them, and mm-hmm. to get off and heroin too, mm-hmm. and to get off of those. And if the, the irony is, sometimes to get off of them, you need to do entheogens, not MDMA, but ayahuasca, iboga, the root bark in the Amazon is very good at getting people off heroin addicts. There's a great movie called. Um, I'm dangerous with love. My, my buddy Dimitri, and this guy's like a classic New Yorker, and he was going to kill himself for, because he couldn't beat his heroin addiction. He's like, I'm flying to Greece, I'm doing a boga, and then I'm going to kill myself. Well, guess what? Three days of a boga, he was off. Hmm. And then he started doing a boga ceremonies with other addicts, with some success and some, you know, some couldn't break the habit. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to talk about MDMA because there's something really cool going on with it right now is... MAPS uh, is tracking this a lot, the Multiple Association of Psychedelic Studies. I think I messed that up, but it's up MAPS. Uh, And they're helping fund research with Iraq veterans that came back with PTSD, Mm -hmm. very serious. And they're working with MDMA therapy for healing that, and the results are off. It's just off the hook, as the young kids would say. It's off the hook, and, like, there's a lot of healing, very positive results. Um, But I think that's the thing that I love is that I don't just, like, I don't do entheogens in a recreational manner anymore. In a therapeutic or ceremonial context, I I think it can be really great. Mm -hmm. And, Rick, I want to say one more thing is I I have a very serious spiritual practice, yoga, meditation, and the daime is a very serious Serious well, I, I gather that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're not. Yeah. you're not going around. We do. We do meditations. You know, there, there's all sorts of spiritual work that goes on in there. Yeah. 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 No, I'm not accusing you of of just being some kind of druggie. I'm just saying. I'm concerned that you know, I'm, probably most of the people who would listen to this aren't going to go off the deep end. But I'm just concerned about the general notion out there in the culture that. You know, you can just do this stuff indiscriminately without any consequences. It, oh, God. It, it has to be put into some kind of more serious context, as you were saying. The, the worst results I've seen as far as ayahuasca are the basement shamans. Yeah, that the kind of stuff. Decide they're going to order this online and do it at home. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, usually it just doesn't work. Because mm, they get some kind of bogus thing. <laughs> bogus thing, or maybe the, the ayahuasca is just like, no, I'm not, yeah. nothing's going to happen with this because it's a spirit. Or they get their ass kicked. Those are pretty much the two that I've, I've I'm sure there's some people that have had good experiences, but generally I've, I've not heard of that many great experiences from that. Yeah. Incidentally, I just want to mention in passing that the Department of Defense just awarded a $2.5 million grant to the, the TM researchers for using TM to deal with PTSD, also transcendental meditation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I just, I just read this quote from the Dalai Lama that's probably pretty famous, but... He said, he said, if we taught every child meditation, war would be over in like a decade or two. Mm. Yeah, I, I uh, interviewed uh, someone last week and she was saying how after her awakening, there was such a huge change in her health. You know, she just didn't get stressed. She could, she's from Florida, but she could, found she could drive in a snowstorm alongside big trucks and not be in the least bit tense or stressed and feel totally relaxed when she got home and her health, you know, pain that she had from an old skiing accident completely disappeared and stuff. And I, I commented, boy, you know, think what that could do to the healthcare budget if everyone could be like you. But then afterwards I thought, yeah, but what could it also do to the military budget? And a lot of these other budgets where huge amounts of money are wasted on stuff that wouldn't even be happening if people were 
living in higher consciousness. Yeah, and it feels like it, these things are transforming. Mm-hmm. I, I love to see the gun laws. I was in a ceremony, and our one of our leaders prayed that we change the gun the, the that the gun laws transform. Mm. Which is a different... I've never heard transforming gun laws put together in the same sentence. Hmm. It's not saying we're going to get rid of this or move this or put this... We're going to transform the consciousness around it. Well, you know, on your theme that you mentioned in the book at times of feeling perhaps pessimistic because the, the powers that apparently be are so dominant and so intractable and, and what can little tightly isolated outcroppings of of awakening people do about them I, you know I, the book ends really right but yeah positive, but also like negative at the same <laughs> well i just wanted to mention that subtle is more powerful you know <laughs> and that um if you're operating from a deeper level you have a lot more leverage <laughs> than if you're operating on the surface and we've seen throughout history radical changes take place time and again in society and uh, I don't know if we can exactly say why they took place, but they do take place. And, you know, if we went back 150 years, none of us could, none of the people living then could have imagined what life was going to be like today. And in many respects, it's a lot better today than it was then. Uh, there, there are obviously some bad things, but, you know, try having a tooth extracted 150 years ago. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, or or try, try being a woman. Try being black or... Yeah, know, exactly. In the U.S. <laughs> so these monumental changes have taken place, and everyone seems to say the pace of change is accelerating. So, you know, within even my lifetime, what to say of yours, we could see a, a, a world which, which uh, you know, we can barely imagine now. I'd like to think Living so anyway. in a world I never imagined. I always wanted already. to be And now I'm doing healing works where a multidimensional guide that feels angelic comes in and shoots energy through my heart to put through my hands to someone else. Mm-hmm. This is, for me, this is, it's not just spiritual, it's sci-fi stuff. Yeah. And that's my daily practice. And I, I know a lot of people are waking up and experiencing God consciousness or whatever they might call it in their lives. In the Diamond Church, what's coming through now is um, one of the heads of our church. He's not like the Pope or anything. He's, he's like a guy that plays guitar with you in ceremonies. Mm-hmm. But his new inario, his hymn book that's come through, is called Nova Dimensao, New Dimension. Mm-hmm. And it's literally a study of a new di- energetic dimension that is coming into the planet. In my book, I hinted this, but I hadn't really got a taste of what it was too much. Of A lot of yogis say we're in the third chakra right now. Mm. This uh, yellow chakra, it's masculine, it's achievement, willpower. You know, we went in 10,000 years from planting seeds in the ground to uh, splitting the atom, seeing Hubble telescopes showing us all this crazy stuff about the universe. But now these fires of this masculine charge are pushing us into the heart center where healing is and integration, love, and that, that's the gateway to spirit. And this is where spirit and matter connect. And I, what I'm seeing is we're getting a lot of help come in now mm. in esoteric circles. And it's just like you said, Rick, like it's subtle. When I can really get out of my head and into my heart, that's when the guide will come in and work with my hands. But if I'm even just a little bit in my thought process, he won't come in. And I, I, I'm a much worse healer when that happens. You know, much better when it's quiet and in the heart and centered and subtle. 
but I, I feel a lot of people are activating like this and things they never thought would have happened are happening now. Um, and I'm sure there's folks out there on this call. So maybe like this guy is a little crazy and others are like, wow, I'm going through this. Yeah. yeah. I, I've had people um, get in touch with me, as you have, who have, you know, had not, never even thought about this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden they'll wake up one morning with some strange energy starting to rise up their spine and it's getting more and more powerful and, and next I'm referring to a, a woman named Sarojini whose interview you can find on my site and uh, you know they'll start researching on the internet and they'll stumble across Kundalini and they'll think they have Kundalini disease and then they'll realize oh it's not a disease it's something spiritual and, and it's spiritual I was never spiritual why is this happening to me you know but anyway this kind of stuff is just kind of cropping up in people who sometimes have no thought of it it just they're waking up yeah and i bet you're, you do a real service for providing isn't it great we have this alternative media so here we don't have to go if that if we just had to go through the mainstream mechanism yeah this wouldn't be out there but this is where science and consciousness are really good friends um, absolutely technology uh, when i was researching my book right uh I'm looking at all these Gnostic texts, which would have got me killed reading. Yeah, uh, you know, burn just at the stake. Few, burn at the stake just a few centuries ago. You know where I did most of my research? What? Where? Christianwritings.com. <laughs> you can find all these ancient texts that would have got you killed, like for free, uh, right there on the web. Uh, oh yeah, I was reading this you know, just the other day about this Christian uh, priest who got burned at the stake for suggesting, just suggesting, that maybe the little wafer they use in Catholicism wasn't literally the, the body of Christ, it was just symbolic in some way. They burned him at the stake for suggesting. Oh, my God! <laughs> and that gets into a, a huge theme of my book, which is this literalist Christianity mm. that's just so narrow and unforgiving and unchristian. Yeah, yeah. And how frustrated the Gnostics were in this. Of like because they were the torchbearers holding this ancient lineage, and then as I say, because of these historical reasons, mainly the Second Jewish Revolt in Israel and the Roman Empire clamping down, and then everyone scattering, they, a third of the population died. That this mystery school got fractured, and you had all these literalist churches that came up out of it, and that's where you get the Roman Catholic Church, and eventually you have the bishops calling. The Gnostics, the ones that were actually holding that Christ consciousness, heretics. Yeah. And, and the Gnostics were really upset by this, saying, um, they're frustrated. You know, the, the text, it just seems they're frustrated. These people are claiming the name of Christ without knowing the Christ within. Well, I think the problem is that mystics don't make good administrators, and so you know, non-mystics always rise up into administrative positions and start to throw their their weight around, and you know, make it hard for the more, you know, sensitive, deep people. Okay, I mean that's a weird thing to say, and I think about it all the time. Yeah, that comment because the right wingers are very good at powers and structures in, mm -hmm. you know, the, creating giant conventions with. 100,000 people and mega churches with 10,000 people. <laughs> and, you know, I even look at the diamond, we're like scattered groups of, you know, centers here and there. Yeah, and the best the lefties can do is Zuccotti Park, you know, <laughs> sitting around beating drums. But yeah, and then eventually they get the cops there and right. plow them out. 
But we keep coming back, and we get stronger, but, and I think we, we need to start creating these systems. Uh, something I see very powerfully, maybe you've been tracking this too, Rick, is the festival culture. You mean like Burning Man and stuff? Burning Man, uh, Lightning in a Bottle, transformative festivals are exploding across the planet right now. Hmm. And people are going there and seeing a whole different way to be human. And, you know, and what I love about Burning Man is, in, you know, I have that, I, one of my favorite chapters is uh, that Burning Man scene called the first extraterrestrial city on Earth. But it's like, for those that haven't gone, I'd like to just give you a vision of Burning Man, which is, it's now I think it's 50,000 people that go, and it's not about commerce. There's no commerce, no logos. You can't, there's not even barter. It's a gift economy. Mm-hmm. So you give things from your heart. And and uh, people go and create these these camps that are the camps of their dreams. And you can go into any of these camps, and there might be a yoga camp, there might be a dance camp, a, a maze camp. I've seen homemade roller coasters. It's crazy what people come up with. A whiskey camp? I heard the... Oh, the oh, whiskey and whores. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you have a whole, whole spectrum out there. I, I mean, probably the grossest is there's one called Porn and Egg. So you, you really can shoot your own adventure. You can go to, like, GPGB Keelers and get a good massage, or you can go to Porn and Eggs, and you might get what you're looking for, you know? <laughs> but there's not so much judgment. And uh, it's just the synchronicities out there, because it's such a higher vibrational consciousness. There's not these walls and limits and competition. It just flows, and it's crazy. You'll be like, man, I wish I had an orange right now, and some dude on like a tricycle juggling oranges will throw you one. It just yeah. happens all the time. It's like magic out there. I've experienced it's, that kind of thing, just uh, really unusual th- things that you, you, you think, like, I'll tell you a quick story just for kicks. I, uh, I, I, I was actually going to hit you up for a story, so good. Okay, so I was in this uh, meditation facility in upstate New York, and um, I had moved and, and didn't have any things. I wanted certain things. I wanted some brasso and to clean my puja set and uh, a few odds and ends. But one really unusual thing, and I also wanted a pair of decorative shoe buckles for a pair of Florsheim shoes because I had gotten them wet and they expanded and the buckles had broken off. And so I was moved from one room to the other to another. And in that room, the previous occupant had left behind everything I wanted except for the decorative shoe buckles. Uh, of course, which would have been pretty weird if he had left a pair of those behind. Yeah. So that, that night I was walking to dinner, and something caught my eye on top of a, uh, an air conditioner in the hallway. I looked up there, and there was a pair of decorative shoe buckles that I was able to attach to my shoes, and boom, you know. And, and they weren't the buckles I had lost. It was like, why would those have been there? Wasn't that an interesting thing? <laughs> I'm not even sure what decorative shoe buckles well, are. It, it was a pair of dressy shoes that had like these little metal buckles on them, the Florsheim shoes. From I was wearing a suit and tie back in those days as a TM teacher back in the 70s. Yeah. But, but, you know, that was like, okay, who organized that for me? Yeah. It's so, like, I, Rick, I hear that and, like, I, I'm like, synchronicity and skepticism. My girlfriend would be, like, 100% synchronicity. Mm-hmm. And I know her life opens up more than mine because she's just, if you believe everything is a synchronicity, it, it, I think it rolls better. Mm-hmm. But where do you lie on the synchronicity, skeptical realm as far as that situation? Well, in that particular instance, I, I just felt like it was sort of like, I almost envisioned you know, magical little gremlins running around uh, doing things and, and, you know, 
<laughs> laying, laying trips on people, and they had they had somehow picked up on my thought, and somehow it had been organized to put a little pair of shoe buckles on top of that air conditioner. I don't know. Obviously, a human being probably put them there, but why? And what motivated the human being to do it? Perhaps the little gremlins that picked up on my thought. Yeah, you know, it, 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 for some reason, this reminds me of bioenergetic therapy is the same as dream therapy. Mm-hmm. The rules work the same because it is the same. This is the waking dream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I hear that. I'm like, wow, this co-creative waking dream. Maybe maybe it really is manifesting these things and the universe is co-conspiring with you. And I actually think that's what's happening on this planet right now. If you pay attention to the news, things can seem pretty dire. But the universe is co-conspiring to help us wake up. Mm-hmm and really bring the light to this planet. The the amount of beings... I also think there are a lot of shadow beings that need illumination and are causing suffering. Um, actually, could I share a story about shadow beings in the Sentinime? Um, Absolutely, yeah. I, I've had it in the back of my mind to ask you more about that, so let's let's do that. I mean, the reason I went to Sentinime is because I, I realized there's this astral attachment and I wanted to heal, and they have this tradition where... Uh, the, one of the formalizers of the church, uh, Padrino Sebastiao is his name, and, Sebastiao, and he actually died on St. Sebastian Day. Um, so pretty, he's kind of a mythical guy in a way. He has this giant, almost like Fu Manchu beard going on. Fu Manchu, is that right? Yes, I know what you mean. You big beard. Okay. Yeah, big, big white beard. Like the, let's, let's think, uh, what's, that, what's that group from Texas? ZZ Top. ZZ Top, okay, so ZZ Top beard. Yeah. Yeah, One of those guys, incidentally, is a meditation teacher, the ZZ Top guy. You're kidding. Uh, Billy, Billy Gibbons, he was on a TM teacher training course in Mallorca, Spain, back in the early 70s. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting you off the track. The same guys that were singing Legs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> meditation and appreciate Legs. Um, yeah, no, we're not getting off topic, because, I mean, seriously, Sebastian looks a little bit like he's moonshining. Okay. <laughs> And it's weird to be like, that's my spiritual um, mentor because he passed through such a difficult path and he gave me hope where no one else could give me hope. I've been to so many healers, like, yeah, we'll get this attachment out. You know, I probably spent thousands of dollars on hypnotherapy. You name the modality, I've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, in Sebastiao, the story is in the early 80s, uh, there was a sorcerer in the Amazon in I mean, if people have been in the Amazon with ayahuasca, especially, be very careful. There are so many sorcerers and you know dark shamans, and there's a lot of great healers too. But there was a sorcerer who was possessed by a demon called Mister Trunkarua, and Trunkarua means block, blocked path. Hang on one second. I just want to provide a context for this discussion of demons. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, because it might be pushing some buttons or stretching some boundaries for some of my listeners who might think of all that as just fanciful, imaginary stuff. Um, I'm always talking about intelligence in these interviews and how intelligence permeates the universe and orchestrates and conducts everything. But obviously, if we're talking about a manifest universe, we're talking about polarities and opposites. And uh, if there is kind of, we could say, positive intelligence, then there's also negative intelligence. And um, even traditionally, mythologically, you have the gods and the demons battling with each other and, and so on. And, and those stories just are, are, are relating to, we could say, organizing principles or laws of nature which are, are 
functioning at, at subtle levels and, and making, kind of keeping the universe rolling. Uh, and there are, there are all the, always these polarities. So, you know, when you ask, well, how could children be sold into sex slavery or something, there's obviously some dark energy, some dark intelligence um, influencing that kind of behavior. Uh, and so, anyway, that's my context for understanding when we talk about demons and, and uh, you know, light beings and, and all this stuff. There are just, there are subtler levels of creation which don't ordinarily meet the eye, and that, but are nonetheless as real as trees and cars and people that we see walking around. And um, this stuff has, you know, it's all across the spectrum in terms of positivity and negativity. And, and it all serves a function. I mean, it's not like you could have all positivity and have a universe. Uh, it all serves a function. So anyway, that's my context. Go for it. Uh, I, I think that was a great explanation. It, it really aligns with the Daime um, cosmology as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are going into some strange territory. It was definitely strange for me. And just so you know, the Daime... The first thing is understanding when it's what's a being and what's you. Discernment is the number one thing. And it's where the being and you connect, where your stuff and where your stuff meets. That's where the battle's fought for light and love because it's a fight of reunion. Because I could actually discern there was another being or energy consciousness or dark energy intelligence attached to me. I could finally work with it. Mm -hmm. that, that was like the, the changing point. And that's a changing point for a lot of my healing practices, recognizing these forces. So, but anyways, there was this sorcerer that's possessed by Trunkarua and very powerful demon. It, what we see in the Daime is they run in phalanxes quite often. There's kind of like a head one, and there's other ones that are in this line. That, Little gangs. Gangs. Just like, just like I live in New York City. There's gangs here, and often they have leaders, right? In fact, they act in a similar way. They're... they're they're just beings, like we're beings, you know? Mm -hmm. In fact, the being I was working with was much like a gangster, a little bit like a pimp, in a way. So Trunkarua came in with this sorcerer. The sorcerer was drinking daime for this being, but it was too intense, and he, he, did, he actually died in this process. The sorcerer. The sorcerer did. And so Trunkarua then possessed Sebastiao, and it was a nine-and-a-half-month battle where Sebastiao was puking up blood... Um, Trunkaroo is the demon, the bad guy. Yeah, and the bad. Okay. Well, in, in this con, in, in this moment in time, he's the bad guy. Right. Okay. It, it's it's the light and the dark coming to meet, mm -hmm. and Sebastiao is is the um, he's the formalizer of the diamond, and Trunkaroo over a series. Sebastiao got hospitalized, all these things, but over time, Trunkaroo eventually illuminated. It was a process, you know. It wasn't overnight, but he he'd heal some and heal some more. And then when he illuminated, he said, I'm illuminating, but I, and I want you to help my other lost brothers and sisters out there. Mm. And that's where we became, that's where the um, mediumship work started, of illuminating dark beings. And when you illuminate a dark being, it heals yourself. Mm -hmm. It heals them and it heals you. And so the Daimon is constantly talking about the spiritual war we're in, but it's, it's unlike any other war we're used to because it's a war of love. And it's a war where the loser heals and wins. Uh, it's a, they call it a war of the great unification. And so there are lines, in the, there's actually illumination works, and some of the hymns will talk about uniting the positive and the negative, just like you said. Uh, 
to become friends. Very it's, interesting. It's spiritual yeah. alchemy, just yeah. like the old ancient mystery schools. They were all about spiritual alchemy of the light and the light and the dark. You know, in the Vedic tradition, they have a lot of stories like that, where some rather highly evolved being, maybe even close to enlightenment, will be born as a demon in order to be Krishna's enemy, let's say. And there'll be this big battle, and Krishna will finally kill the demon. And in that moment, the demon will get enlightened. And, and it was that, you know, that was the way. And Ravana, in the Ramayana, Ravana was this great, highly evolved being, master of all this wisdom and knowledge. But he was demonic. And yet when he was finally killed by Rama, that was his full enlightenment. And that was just the path he took to finish the, finish the journey. That is an integrated approach, right? That's holistic, right there. Even the demons. And, I mean, the dark guide. And I have to say, it's, it, as much for two years, I, I woke up and wanted to kill myself. Hmm. That was in my whole mission every day was do not kill yourself because... I, what do we see in the guy maze? Worse things can happen. You can yeah, then killing yourself. You mean? Yeah. If you if you kill yourself, you can end in worse states. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we've done a lot of work in helping those 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 beings out of those spaces. But um, it, what a guide! What a teacher! I learned so much. My healing practice is not. I would have been probably one of these kind of cheesy Reiki guys that you know. Oh, we're going to channel in the dolphins now or this. Because I had such a deep, difficult teacher, I feel like my healing practice just is that much more rewarding now. Um, and so the difficult teacher was this demonic intelligence that you... Yeah, it was... Had, yeah. yeah. Outside of my guide, it was it was the most powerful guide I've, I've had in my practice. And when I do bioenergetic healing work, we, we start with finding what the light guide is and the shadow guide for the evolution of each each person. That kind of puts all traumatic and difficult experiences that human beings go through in a different context, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if we do live in a in a sort of a benign universe that's a giant evolution machine that really wants every all life forms to move along toward higher consciousness, then why does all this negative stuff happen? Is it is is that is that sort of thwarting the purpose well maybe in the big picture it's actually serving the purpose by strengthening us or, or giving us certain knowledge and wisdom that we wouldn't have if everything were just smooth and rosy yeah um i just did you know alex gray the visionary yeah 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 i've looked at his pictures and heard you that you're a friend of his yeah i was just I spent a weekend up at his chapel of sacred mirrors and he was I love, he has a beautiful, beautiful. It's very scary, but also beautiful painting about spirit possession. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, we were talking about as an evolutionary force when we were looking at this painting, and he was describing it as a slingshot hmm. because you know that negative energy. You pull it back like this, mm-hmm. but then when it's ready to go, it's just you know it's a very powerful evolutionary force. If if you don't fall under the victimization of it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you hear about alcoholics bottoming out, and, you know, I kind of bottomed out my own experience before I turned around. I really did slingshot back in the other direction. I mean, within a couple months after giving up drugs and learning to meditate, I had gotten back into school and gotten into college and gotten a job and reconciled with my father and just all this positive. So it, it was much more contrasting than it might have been if I'd just been kind of muddling along. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the challenge to, and we don't hear this like our medical system 
has a very victim mentality. You come in, the doctor knows everything. I get very frustrated with a lot of doctors because they don't even ask questions sometimes. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's very victim, like, base. It doesn't empower people where... So that's why my next book is going to be called Warrior Healing because that's my healing practice. Is like, if I didn't step up into some sense of warriorship, spiritual warriorship, um, I don't think I would have got through that passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just see it with a lot of, you know, the clients I work with these days. It's just, you know, I thought it was just me. Just the, the vast amount of suffering. And then that there's actually a trajectory to get out of it is pretty incredible. Well, you know, I mean, all the myths support this, don't they? I mean, there's always a sort of a rite of passage, and it's, it's actually institutionalized in certain cultures where the young man has to go through these trials and tribulations and fasting and sun ceremonies and all kinds of things in order to pass in into adulthood. Um, I mean, even birth is a rite of passage. You go through kind of a rough time. But. It is. It's all kind of... It, we live in a mythic realm and we don't realize it. Like when I he, when I heard when I started hearing and reading the hymns about Sebastião and you know here's the Saint Sebastian and here's Truncarua and Saint Sebastian in the past was tortured by a being or he was tortured right he died horrifically and here's these, the light and the dark come into this epic battle of union and then you know this happens and then he dies on Saint Sebastian Day I was just like this is mythic territory. But just like you say, it's in our own lives. Our own lives are these mythic, epic journeys. And in, in sometimes we don't even realize it. Like with bioenergetics, say like you get, someone gets in a fight with their wife. And you think it's just this mundane thing. But when you slow down the, slow down the energy and look at it, it's drama. There's so much going on. It's such actually a beautiful um, learning landscape and playground to, to evolve with. If you start paying attention, mm-hmm. yeah, and if you don't run out the door and slam it behind you, and you know, go off and find a new wife and do that six a dozen times over and over again, looking for you know, if you actually anchor yourself and face the music and learn the lessons that are being presented, you um, there can some real growth can come out of it. Right. Yeah. And you're you're married, Rick. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. How long have you been married? Twenty six years almost. Yeah, you sound like you've done a lot of work. <laughs> Just recognizing that is pretty incredible. Oh, yeah, you don't keep, you know, perpetuating the wound and projecting it on different, you know, different partners. Yeah. And I always, I mean, not always, but uh, over time I've grown more and more appreciative of the fact that everything I'm experiencing has is my teacher. You know, it has some lesson, to uh, some valuable lesson if I can only take it to heart. Yeah. So can I ask you a question for 26 years here? Uh-huh. How have you learned to just like accept and love yourself in a long-term relationship like that? Well, I don't know. Um, I guess, well, f- firstly, I have a spiritual practice, which I find very nourishing. And um, I, I feel like... Uh, um, I've learned a lot of patience, and you can you can react to something in a moment of impatience that can have repercussions for days, or you can just you know be patient, and within five minutes the whole thing is completely gone. Um, and 
you know, I do, I do have a spiritual practice, as I said, which I find extremely re rejuvenating, and you know, it gives me a clean slate <laughs> twice a day, and uh, so there's not a lot of heart to my, as far as I'm aware, there's not a tendency to accumulate and harbor resentments and things. It's like every moment is new. Um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but that's what comes to mind. Yeah, I, I, I think that answered it really well. Um, I think those five minutes of patience, mm -hmm. that's... It, even five seconds sometimes is all it takes. You know, but, you know that saying, this too shall pass, um, it does. And, um, you know, no, which is not to say that a person should sort of hang, if, if they're in an abusive relationship or something, that they should just hang in there for decades. I mean, there can be situations that... Uh, action needs to be taken, but I've just always had a deep intuitive sense that I'm where I'm supposed to be, and you know, things, the, my, the course of my life is almost, I could say, divinely guided, there's a, like, if I look back a decade ago, two, three, four decades ago, I never could have anticipated what I would have been doing a decade later, but it's always kind of worked out better than if I had been the guy that was working all out all the details, you know, with my limited perspective it's you know like a traffic cop can kind of see the whole flow of traffic and can tell the cars to go this way and that whereas in each individual driver might not make the best decisions and I just sort of feel like there's some kind of cosmic traffic cop that's um, calling the shots to a great extent in my life and I've learned to trust that and flow with it and I'm always pleased with the outcome yeah Cosmic tra traffic cop. That that's a good line for the uh, teaser of the podcast, right there. <laughs> Rick and Salat talk about DMT that it's a cut in cosmic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm also just asking because I had suffered from possession for so long, um, and I had a violent mother growing up. Mm -hmm. I had you an know, alcoholic father. Yeah. And so I project all these like no's onto my girlfriend still, mm -hmm. uh, but they're they're turning into yeses, hmm. uh, and it's just like I'm having a relationship like I've never had before, having cleared beings and um, that. But I, I in you know it's a, there's just this beautiful opening happening of of changing the whole construct of what relationship is to me. Hmm. But sometimes, Rick, I still. I don't win that five minutes. Oh yeah, I mean neither do I. You know, it's, <laughs> okay. it's you know, we're all bozos on this bus, as uh, Firesign Theater, who was before your time, used to say. Um, who? Who? Oh, it was this great comic tr uh, comedian group called Firesign Theater. You can probably find old recordings of them or something, and uh, they're back in the '60s, and that was one of their lines: "We're all bozos on this bus." Where, where uh, was it actually televised, or was it? Uh, they had a record albums out, and I imagine they did, you know, actual shows where they presented their shtick on, uh, on stage. Uh, they're good. Um, what about? Uh, well, do you have anything? In, I have a question. I could lead us off in a whole new direction, but do you well, have let's any? Go. any let's okay. So, so the whole idea of you're the cosmic traffic cop. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, actually, I, I just have a, a remnant question from what we have been talking about before I take us off in another direction. You, you've talked about, you know, actual possession by some negative entity that, in your own experience. Do you feel like 
everyone has that almost to to some extent maybe some major some minor but do you feel like we're as a as a species riddled with little just as they say you know we all have cancer in our body but mo for most of us our immune system takes care of it do you, do you sort of feel like we're, there are sort of negative impulses of intelligence um, ingrained in everyone's makeup um, which makes us the mixed bags that we are would you well, say that that's the way it works I think there's everyone's got light and shadow, and so there's the mix. The, there's the light and the dark intelligences. Mm -hmm. uh, the beings, another being is a little different. It's like a pest, you know. They're, yeah, they're, a parasite. Like. Parasite. We, we. I don't think we think of our energetic system as like there's dimensions. The amount of space and complexity in the energetic body is huge. Mm -hmm. It's it's like ecosystems, and so yeah. there be many beings in an ecosystem. And, and we see that with our body anyways, with the bacteria and stuff like that. In some ways, I, I, to be honest, I feel frustrated. I feel like I'm a doctor in the 1850s with an electron microscope telling people there are these invisible things that are causing illness. You can't see them, but from the evidence, it's, it's making this happen, and they're called germs. Mm -hmm. And on the quantum level, there are these kind of parasitic forces that we can't see yet because we don't have the spiritual or advanced technology. I think one day we'll have the technology to, to invite, like, frequency things. that could, <laughs> This is a little more Star Trek-y, but that can can change the frequency of these intelligences much quicker. I, I feel like I had to do a little bit of the medieval approach to get through this, you know, like like a blood bloodletting or something like that. Um, but well, anyway... But, uh like you yourself, you know, you began seeing auras and subtle energies uh, quite a few years ago. And, um, you know, pr I, there must be a whole range of uh, potential development in that kind of thing. That You know, there could be a very first inklings of it, and then there could be full-blown capability in which you might see God knows what, you know. Uh, and, and then there could be the whole dimension of actually being able to do something about it. Not just seeing it, but being able to do something about it. And so somebody like Christ, who, you know, who could cast out demons, or someone just touches his cloak from behind and gets healed, um, obviously he's well beyond just seeing the subtle realms of life. He's in a position to actually be master of those realms. And and so, you know, in terms of healing and um, the kind of thing you're mentioning. Yeah, well, he's he's a true divine son. He understands himself in his divine inheritance, so there's no fear. There, the, the diamond, the connection is the protection. He's connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but so um, I think most people have them. Like just honestly, from the work in the diamond, and it's it happens every time. New people come in, they see the mediumship work, they like that's your own stuff. You're crazy. That being's not really because they come through people and speak. Beings will be like, fuck you, I hate you, I'm going to kill all of you, right? And then a daime person will come up and say, welcome, brother. Welcome for your healing. We're here to help you. And they don't believe it for a long time. And then suddenly they start to heal. What my being did is he started bowing at the cross and crying and saying he fucked up and he's really sorry. Mm. It's, so it's a, it's a process of redemption. And it was weird. Just, like, one being came through and he was fighting and angry and then he goes to the cross and he's he starts picking himself up came through you he threw me yeah and so he's in my body doing this he sees the cross he picks himself up and then he just starts illuminating himself and out of joy he starts jumping up and down out of 
the freedom of like the spiritual symbol and the power of it and illuminated himself. <laughs> and, and I've never, I still have Jesus issues. I've never thought of the cross as a fun, liberating force until that moment. And then I saw the joy of spiritual freedom because these beings in these hell realms are really trapped and locked up and damaged. They're traumatized beings. You see yeah. them into the slough and you have so much compassion for them because you just see, even though they're hurting other people, they're suffering so much. They're so shut down. They've been in really bad spaces. They haven't, where they needed nurturing, they found punishment and torture and these things. So you help them open and turn the no to a yes. But what, what I'm saying with this is people that first come into the diamond, they're like, no, that's, that's you and your stuff. There's no way. And eventually their mediumship opens up and that weird tick they have, the depression, the eating disorder, the addictions, addictions, you know, that's a, such a big one with these entities. They come out and speak. And the great thing about bringing an entity into the room in a safe context is now you can work with it. Now you're bringing light. When it's back there, man, it can really mess your, mess your, your stuff up. Mm. When you're like, okay, we're going to bring you in and work with you. You can see what they're doing, what their intentions are. You can start with, like sending them love. And they lose their power in the light. And they gain a different kind of beauty. Yeah. I, I always thought of it like an art project. Of you, You'd start turning death into life and beauty. Hmm. Flowers, you know, energetic flowers. An interesting analogy is, you know, how do you get rid of the darkness in a room? Do you analyze it? Do you fight it? Do you, like, you know, <laughs> try to push it out somehow? Oh, no, you flick the light on, and where'd it go? It's gone. You know, you just brought light to it, and that's the end of the darkness. Yeah, I wrote a Facebook post saying, I, I think I'm starting to understand spiritual alchemy better, and that the light, as they say in the daime, is way more powerful than the dark. And so many people agree with me, but so many people are like, no, that's an ignorant statement, you know, uh, light and dark are even and this, but I, I, I think your analogy kind of shows the point. Mm. Join me, Luke, and together we'll rule the universe. I, I, how many times, I think of Star Wars all the time in my journey. You know how Luke was like, I, oh, I have to face Vader again. Like I had to go back to ceremony to mm -hmm. face my Vader but what happens in the end? You take off the, the the mask, and he's like a crumpled old wounded guy. That's I what know. that's what they found with Trunk of Rua. He was crippled. He was a crippled old guy that needed a lot of healing underneath the demonic mask that he was wearing. Mm. I, I heard a, a Bill Moyers show in which Joseph Campbell talked about that scene. Joseph was friends with George Lucas, and uh, you, it's a treat. You really have to go back and listen to, some, to Bill Moyers' conversations with, with Joseph Campbell. Um, oh, were you going to say what they said, though? Or oh, no, just I'm just commenting. He, yeah, I don't even remember the specifics, but you know, there was there was so much uh, wisdom and mythology in the Star Wars series. You know, it, and, and you know, so many profound kind of uh, symbols that, that took place throughout the whole thing. Yeah, at least the first three. I don't know about Yeah, yeah, it got a little weird after a while. <laughs> Maybe because Joseph Campbell died. I don't know. Totally. You know, when I, you know when you can see this Joseph Campbell once, every time they do a fun drive for PBS, they, yeah, they play them. Yeah. They play them because they know it's just gold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, uh, one theme that comes up prominently in your book is the whole theme of extraterrestrials, which uh, 
again, there's all kinds of silly new age ooga booga about that, but I, I, I think you treat it in a in a responsible fashion. And in you know, in my own experience, it was something that dawned on me in around 1980 or so that this is part of the equation in terms of uh, the evolution of our planet, and that there actually is something going on there, uh, not through any direct experiences like you've had, uh, but just kind of hit me and rang true. So um, how does how does that tie in with everything else you've been talking about? Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny because the last three years, that four, maybe four years, that has not been my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but for that entire book... It was a phase. Yeah, it was it was very prominent. And I didn't put it in the, the first, like, five drafts of the book. It was only, like, the book had been accepted... Uh, and, and Daniel Pinchbeck, the author of 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, he was my one of my editors. He still told me, we can't publish it because you're not being honest enough. He's like, you got to put in your shadow stuff, your messy relationships. Everything you don't want to put in the book is what's going to make it interesting. And I'm glad I did it because I think it's a much more relatable book. But the hardest thing was coming out of the galactic closet because, <laughs> you know, because people... It, People can handle spirituality and consciousness, but like as I say, like when you drop the A bomb, you just the alien, you become one of those freaks, and that's that was my perspective. But yeah, the first time I started seeing energy fields, and I took MDMA, I was in my room, and as soon as it clicked on, I felt this myself realizing, oh, you can see things this way, and then I was given one word, and the word was alien. And so throughout the experience, it's kind of this opening to some type of galactic guidance of perhaps beings that may have been initiated in another planetary realm and are helping the ascension process here on this planet. I don't know. I I mean, my theory, I have various theories, but one is if you can believe in reincarnation or transmutation of the souls, then it's very probable, just like you've had many lifetimes here, maybe as like, you know, an Eskimo and a European and a potato farmer or whatever it is, you may have had some experiences on some other planets. Um, guidance I do keep getting is that the universe is just so much weirder than we possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I also think we may have connections to these different lineages, if you will. In my book, there's a, there's a huge thing about lineage that comes up in it that... You never, I don't hear an extraterrestrial phenomenon. It's usually this kind of 1950s, like, abduction story. And this was more of, like, inheriting certain genetic or energetic coding that makes you, it's like ancestral. And just like in U.S., we could be, uh, we're, we're really big mutts, you know. It's Irish, German, English, Kenyan, Cherokee, whatever. We may have these different associations to certain other uh, star systems um, if you follow the lineage back far enough. And I, I think the Earth is a very magical planet that's connected to the rest of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And um, how much of all that you just said and other things you might say are just uh, speculations that you have been playing with or maybe gleaning from various books? And how much of it was inspired by your direct experience? I'd say most of that, is, not not too much from books. I can't think of many books that are like this. Can you? Eh, 
I've read things along the lines of what you you were just saying. I couldn't name you a book, but there are people who kind of, you know, posit, for instance, that our human beings are basically from another planet in general, and that some some early explorers from some place else colonized the Earth and maybe inter interbred with the beings that were here and so on, and that's what we are today. But who knows? It, it, yeah, uh, most of those books I've read though are are seem like really woo-woo, sloppily channeled books. Like, and I mean, I love like Barbara Hanclow, but I mean, she basically says the moon is made of things that it's not made of, and it's green just cheese. <laughs> There's green cheese, but like, so, and so I, I lose my confidence because for me, it's also it's still scientific, it's still energetics. You know, it's complicated, advanced string theory stuff, but it's there. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I think a lot of it was intuitive. Um, maybe Daniel's 2012 book with crop circles inspired it. I, I, um, I, I, most of it was experiential. So, do you feel now then that um, you know some sort of ex not only subtle intel? I mean, there's way, various ways we can classify this stuff. It could be subtle beings who dwell on the earth just as we do. It could be that the whole issue of you know, Earth versus somewhere else is is meaningless when you get to a subtler level. There's there's not this sort of space-time rigidity that we have on the surface level. Or it could be that there are beings that are actually from the Pleiades or someplace that, uh, you know, and then we have to solve the issue of how they got here, you know, the, the, <laughs> the right. distance of, what, 400 light years or something. But maybe there's wormholes or some advanced technology. So there's all these things in the mix. But, but the, the essential question is, you know, to what extent do you feel that all of that is pertinent to the spiritual awakening of the planet now? Well, don't we want to meet the neighbors? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, as my screensaver, I have NASA's latest picture of the day, which is like constantly rotating different galaxies and all. I'm out there, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I reminded the scene last winter where I was, we were driving, my, uh, my girlfriend's from Jersey, and we were driving through like Jersey strip mall land, and I was, we were both getting so depressed. And I kind of looked around, and I just, I just said, one alien. And she's like, what? I'm like, all it would take was one alien on this planet to change all of this. Mm. Like, change our perspective on everything. But that's not how I see it's happening. I don't think we're going to have, like, someone land. What I see is we shamanically wake up. It's artistic, it's, it's mathematical, but it's like this mystery, just like we follow the synchronicities in our lives, and it opens up. The number one thing I... There's two things I really get responses on in my book because people resonate the black bowling ball in in their stomachs because so many people have the black bowling ball that holds their life down and I think a lot of that's probably is entities for people and the aliens because there's so many people that are having awakening experiences with that right now they're so grateful that I'm actually writing about this stuff in an intelligent way a grounded way you know I didn't lose my wit and my intelligence writing about this or my humor you know and so, but that they seem to there seems to be a waking up that's happening now. What I'm getting recently in the daime is we are these star beings that we are actually star beings. And this is if you ever read Graham Hancock and he talks about the ancient mysteries of Egypt. It, Graham Hancock wrote the forward for my book. He's a mentor. I just 
talk about a man that's grounded and can write about esoteric topics in a very... He just did a TED Talk, so it's, mm-hmm. I'm very happy about that. But he says the ancient mysteries uh, in Egypt, it's basically saying one thing, that they were make, waking up initiates to understand themselves as star beings. We're made from the stars. This whole planet is star-powered. We, we say solar-powered, it's star-powered. You know, in the diamond, they're constantly talking about being healed from the stars and that we are the stars. And, it, you know, but a star that doesn't illuminate can't shine. So the process of, I think, most initiatic paths is to clean out and illuminate the star body and connect with that star energy. So that's uh, a little wilder, but if you start thinking of it like that, then when you meet people, I I mean, I feel like life is very psychedelic now without taking anything, because I just meet so many interesting people with these different, you know, if it's star energy, they're holding different energetic frequencies. And sometimes I'm just like, where is, what planet is this person from? And I almost mean it literally, but... You know, so when you say star energy, you mean actually some energy from some other place that, that they're embodying here. Is that, that what you mean? I, I think that's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or it's being held in their, you know, DNA is ener- energy, or it's being held in their, um, just their energetic body. Like, I met a, a person that believes she's a Syrian channel, and she believes there's certain types of music uh, that we're attracted to based on our lineages back to places. And when she said that, it just felt true to me because I've always been into weir- weirder music, stuff that was challenging mainstream ideas. I was never into, like, Bon Jovi. I was into, like, Velvet Underground and people like Daniel and Wah that are very haunting and, and have these frequencies that are a little different than mainstream music. Um, uh, what, Rick, meant, uh, what yeah. are your thoughts on <laughs> on this stuff? Oh, you're expressing some of them pretty well. I I just sort of feel like, I mean, the whole the parts in your book where you talked about you know ancient uh, pictures of uh, you know Mary and with some you know starship beaming down energy into her womb and and various other actually f- paintings from hundreds of years ago where they actually depicted this stuff. Um, Kind of, kind of corroborates what I've been thinking, which is just that, you know, we're we're part of a, a much larger family, and that we've kind of forgotten our our membership in that family because, frankly, we don't really deserve to be uh, <laughs> an active member. Uh, you know, we we just don't have the kind of consciousness to participate in a cooperative, friendly way. I mean. Um, first thing we'd do is if we had the ability to go to some other planet is sort of like what we did in Avatar, you know, start raping the environment and killing the natives um, based upon our track record. So Yeah, you know, we, we've already had this experience of meeting foreign lands with Columbus and we really yeah. you know, screwed the pooch on that one. Right, I mean read Howard Zinn, you know, the people's history right. of the United States. Um, and so, you know, the but these, the, so I'm saying I, I sort of feel like you know, again, along the theme that the whole universe is permeated by intelligence, it's not only intelligence in, a, in an absolute sense, but intelligences, um, and that, that you know they're they're kind of looking over us and waiting for us to grow up enough to be a, a more equal participant rather than just some little bad boy that has to be kept uh, in in the dark. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm glad you said that. I want, there's a couple things that I'd like to address. One is the Christ line and its galactic things. So maybe we can talk about that next. But mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about this thing about them watching us. Is mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in the book, and there's probably something in me that's very attracted to it, is um, I believe I call him Don in the book. Uh, you know, I changed all the names. Don at Burning Man, he's this guy that, um, and Don and Sarah. Yeah, he's a successful businessman with $800 million company and so on. He's probably worth a billion now. And yeah. you know, he's got this amazing apartment. He's just like all these things, very grounded guy. Mm-hmm. But he, at Burning Man his first year, had this experience of one, uh, taking mushrooms and see his girlfriend's face turn into this kind of alien face. Which I then saw that that night I met them at Burning Man. She said to me, she said something to me in, in her face about how I brought out her shaman side. And in that moment, I saw her face change into this this kind of sexy grayish alien figure. But it didn't look like these mean grays that you see on the TV and stuff. And then Don tells me this story of how the first year he met, he he saw her face change when they were on some art pyramid out there. And then when he went to bed for three nights in a row, his consciousness was taken up to what he would say was a mothership. And I think his line is it was full of these, like, really fun creatures. Like, it wasn't these boring creatures we hear about. They were, it was like a carnival of like androgyny and David Bowie kind of like people and they had like really cool tattoos a lot of them when I hear that it sounds to me like they probably love themselves a lot and were doing a lot of creative expression and what he saw is he looked out this mother ship and he said what he saw were these like thousands of ships beaming down high vibrational lights of indigo to help the frequency like there's intention and he also said he saw a few ships were, that were beaming down kind of like black energy or negative energy. And he was told by these other beings that some of those were reptilian-based. But the majority were there kind of helping in a very subtle way. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of the guidance in my whole The Electric Jesus is there's this galactic shamanic assistance that takes place throughout the book. Um, and emphasis yeah. on the word subtle, by the way, because obviously if they were gross metallic ships, we would be able to detect them. But And, and some of them are. I mean, some of them come into this dimension and can be seen and, and have been seen and so on. But I think, you know, you've got to sort of bring into the, the mix the understanding of subtle realms and that, you know, beings and even objects can exist on subtle realms which aren't going to be visible through a telescope or something. Yeah, in these subtle, subtle realms are in perception of dimensions yeah and so if our consciousness like you're saying if we're not at that state you can't reach that Ben, ben or oops I'm sorry I just gave away his name Don in the book is very it's strange. Ben and Jerry's <laughs> <laughs> very technically connected and you know what happened about a year later is I actually told Don and Sarah when they were at a dinner party I was like hey Don you know they were talking about aliens because they love to talk about aliens it's their favorite topic and I was like, you know what, Don? That night we met you at Burning Man, I saw Sarah's face change into an alien. And he just turns to her and goes, honey, draw him a picture. And she drew a picture of exactly what I saw mm-hmm. with a little alien's heart NYC next to the picture. Does it make it real? No, it corroborates, yes. But, Rick, just I want to go with what you were saying. I think it's just so important. Which was that? Which is this... 
we're we're just holding possibilities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's not like you're going to hell if you don't believe that uh, Sarah was an alien. Uh, it's like, who knows? But boy, you had the experience. What does it mean? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> But it, I, I really want to say I'm not saying this stuff is true. I'm saying these are experiences that I had. Yeah. And, you know, folks out there don't even have to decide if it's true or not. It's just like you know these that, those are experiences to consider. I'm all for throwing everything into the mix, you know, and you know not coming to firm conclusions or needing to, but keeping open to all possibilities because, as you say, it's a very magical, mysterious universe out there, and. Like I said, quoting Shakespeare earlier in the thing, that there are where well, I lost the quote, but you know there are more possibilities in in this heaven and earth than are imagined in your philosophy. Um, so it's like, you know, and again, you know, hearkening back to 150 years ago, thousand years ago, um, people's you know imaginations, except for a few outliers like Jules Verne, wouldn't have been able to anticipate the stuff that we take for granted today. And so that's just going to keep happening. And, you know, it might be that 200 years from now, people would think, what? They had a problem believing aliens? You know, they're, they're, go to the supermarket. They're there shopping with them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to try some alien cuisines. You know, I love, like, Italian and Thai. It's, like, Palatian and Arcturian. Yeah, right. Or maybe they're all, like, Solarians. They just breathe and heavenly energy. And... So playing with possibilities here again, uh, and based upon the, the glimpses that you have had, uh, do you sort of feel like maybe there's a lot of people uh, among us who aren't actually people? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like w what my experience has been is we're more people, you know, but there might be first-timers to Earth. I see that with a lot of young generations. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think the autistic, a lot of autism, I think some of it's environmental factors and they have a sensitivity, but I also think it's just a weird planet for them. Mm. Um, I do think you're seeing more of like kind of like crystalline energy generations come in to heal us, which is good. Um, I just, I wrote this comment about young people. Like when I was in my 20s, we had, counterculture was drinking too much, drinking too much rolling rocks, uh, smoking Marlboro Reds, listening to Charles, reading Charles Bukowski, listening to Tom Waits and hanging out at coffee shops way too long. That was the counterculture. There was no, there wasn't much light. Hmm. Now the counterculture is like, go to these awesome festivals, do a Reiki healing, do some yoga, wear a crop circle shirt, go to a, an Alex Gray exhibit, and talk about sacred geometry. Yeah, that's encouraging. Yeah, it's, it's funny you talk about young people. To me, you're just like this little bean sprout of a <laughs> young. Okay, so so how old do you think I am, Rick? Oh, you're in your 30s, because I know, just based on hints you've given me in the book. Oh, but you could be in your 20s for all I know if I hadn't oh, read the hints. Like, like 25. I'm 38. I'm two years from 40. So. Oh, there you go. Well, I'm 63, but I have to actually think to remember because I don't really relate to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is actually, uh, the audience doesn't know here, but uh, Rick knows that it's, I'm having a big birthday party today, so I feel like this is just a great kickoff for, uh, for really... Um, Magical days. So Rick, yeah, you're you. having a party tonight, and I, I, I mentioned to you yesterday it's a good thing we're not doing this interview the morning after that. Yeah, and, and you know what the theme of the party is? It's what? A 2013 The Space Oddity. So people are going to come as various futuristic, uh, more like a Barbarella kind of sexy <laughs> futuristic costume. Great. I'm going to go with Han Solo, and my girlfriend's going to be a sexy Princess Leia. Cool.
Now, one thing I'm wondering, and I, I bet you I'm anticipating the question that a lot of listeners are having if they've stayed with us this long, is that um, you know there are a lot of people who listen to this show and a lot of people I've interviewed on the show who are in the non-dual world, and their whole emphasis is uh, they would consider most of the stuff we've been talking about today to be just distraction. Um, you know, possibly true, but who cares? Because it's just all a lot of um, mind candy that is not going to, that's not pertinent to actual self-realization. And you know, their whole emphasis may be that, well, you know, when you get right down to it, there is no individual self. We're, you know, we're just pure presence or pure being, and so on. And you know, when they hear us talking and read a lot of uh, perhaps read your book, they hear a lot of, well, I experienced this and I experienced that and then this happened to me. And their question would be, well, who is this me? You know, who is this I who is having these experiences? That's the real important question. And so in your path and in your study in Santa Daime and, and whatnot, is there, you know, very much emphasis on that? Or I mean, because most people, you know, a lot of people when they awaken, they think, I am really not ultimately an individual. That's just a sort of superficial facade. I am, I am kind of universal awareness. And so they kind of lose the whole emphasis on individuality. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole practice of the Daime is to re-enter the celestial kingdom. Mm-hmm. Which is? Reconnected with God consciousness and to let go of illusion. There's all these hymns, let go of illusion, let go of the separateness. But but you're right, because we've been talking... The shamanic world is very much about duality. Yeah. And the daime is this weird mix of the shamanic and the godhead, the god consciousness, the, the inner, you know, the oneness, reunion. And it's it's a real study. I know the daime tells us, uh, when they're talking about the celestial kingdom, where, all, you know... Those who are not clean do not go. Those who are clean go. Those who are not clean do not go. So if you have beings attached to you and you you can't illuminate them, it's really hard to get to that God consciousness. Like, it was hard for me to meditate. Meanwhile, I've got this thing in my back that's saying, kill yourself, kill other people, die, you know. Mm. It's, it, but the meditation helped. So for me, I think it's, it's kind of a both end, you know. It's like... A perfect example would be New York City here. I live, I try to live in this non-dual world as much as I can and meditate in that. But when I'm walking down a street at night, if I don't have an awareness of the dual world, and this did happen to me, I got I got mugged and almost hurt really bad. Mm. So I think there's there's the God consciousness in there. There's the awareness that we're here. And also a lot of my healing practice, I work with what we would call bioenergetics, a lot of schizoids, because that's mine. And schizoids love to be spiritual, because that's where, you know, it's nice up there, it's beautiful and that. The hard part for them is being here, because it's terrifying. And to be in the illusion and help bring light. And so huge amounts of my practice is actually to ground people, to bring in that higher consciousness energy and then spread the love. Um, the Daime, though, just says it's like we're in a spiritual war fighting it with. What do they say? With the not with the certainty that we are going to win, hmm. meaning God's not going to lose. It's all coming back into, into, and it already is there, you know. 
But but I think you're right. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think it's a study. I think it's a study for everyone. It's not just me. If if you're only looking at the the non-dual world, it might be good to you know pay attention to the dual world we're in as well, and just notice where you might not be paying attention. Well, you know that's actually a trend in so-called non-dual circles. There are a number of teachers and speakers who whose whole emphasis was on the non-dual to the exclusion of the dual, to the exclusion of the personal. And after some years of that, they began to mature and began to realize that it had been lopsided or, or only partial. And so there's this whole kind of embodiment movement taking place in, in the non-dual teachings. Um, and to my way of thinking, you know, mature spirituality is... Um, an incorporation of the full spectrum and, and, and a sort of a facility in functioning at all levels of the spectrum, all levels of manifestation from the unmanifest to the most gross and practical, like walking through a street in New York at night. Um, and if there's any deficiency on any of those levels, then that's an area that needs growth. And, you know, for most people, of course, they're so hung up in the dual that the non-dual is really a, a necessary focus and a breath of fresh air when it begins to dawn. Uh, and sometimes they become fundamentalist in that orientation. But then over time they can't stay there. It's got to sort of start bleeding into into the manifest again and enriching the whole thing. Yeah, sounds like a study. I mean, with, with uh, you know, the healing work I do is so much about the chakras mm-hmm. and finding where the blocks are in the chakras. So it's very weird for a, a very spiritual person to come in and I'm like, you need to be work on being sexy a little bit. Mm. Like, we need you, and I'll actually put on music where they can dance their second chakra and feel it, sometimes for the first time, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see the chakras when you're doing energy work with people, or how do you know what they need? Mostly with my eyes closed, I'll see the chakras. Well, if someone's really rigid in, in like this, you know they're going to need some heart opening, and they're going to need some, some first and second chakra. Most people, if you look, I, I think the major wounding's happen in the second and the fifth chakras, the feminine, the heart, or the second and the fourth, the heart and the the sex chakra, it just seems like they're so vulnerable for people. Mm. And of course, people say like someone has a throat issue and they're not they're not expressing themselves. So you got to do all this fun, like color uh, therapies. I love it. It's our, our idea of healing is so boring to me. Sometimes it's very clinical, and I think when we start understanding it as a beautiful art project, and these colors, these expressions need to come into being it just becomes uh, much more rich and you know that's the creative energy so it is it's yeah it is tracking mm-hmm. but usually it's not me it's the guides that tell me mm. and i guess you do these sessions over skype as well as in person so uh, are you able to do them just as effectively over skype in some ways skype can be a little more effective because there's something say like someone's gone through sexual abuse right um, and you're sitting in a room together. That that can la- that can be a little stressful for somebody. Sometimes there's a safety having that Skype. It's like an extra boundary for them to go into these spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't found one more, at least less effective. But I have noticed sometimes sometimes it's actually not a bad thing. The Skype um, uh, in that there, of course, there are. 
sometimes I'd like to do hands-on work and I can't do that. Right. But but that's when you train people to do the hands-on work for them. M- mine is more like I'm trained. I I call it warrior training. That, that's more of what it is. And if you're being assisted in this work by guides, then I guess those guides aren't restricted by geographical distance. They can, you know, help facilitate it regardless of where the person is. Yeah, and I mean, there's been quantum physics studies on that too, right? Of how these right. these different particles in very different locations will will affect each other. Mm-hmm. So, like, what's that called? Non. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. There, there can be, uh, you know. Particles on opposite sides of the of the galaxy, and as soon as one takes an uh, an up position, the other takes a down position, inst- uh, without any limitation in terms of the speed of light and all that. But I forget what it's called. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, who who are these guys that are helping you with the healing thing? I mean, we've talked about all kinds of subtle beings, beings and all, but is this like the guys that used to call you cowboy, or is this a different gang? I do not know. Mm. You just definitely feel there's some kind of Guiding entities. Yeah, yeah. Now that you said it, it actually might be a group of guides, but I always feel it is one, it, and it may be the same guides because they used to actually do some heart opening, hand moving my hands. And, and how do you know it's guides and not just your own imagination or your own kind of subtler intelligence or something? Rule number one: of mediumship. Mm-hmm. Don't make anything up. Mm-hmm. Rule number one. What's so, rule number two? Uh, <laughs> great question. Well, rule number Open. two might be: How do you know if you're if you're making it up or not? Rule number two is probably know who's coming in mm-hmm. and be responsible. And three is open and close. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end mm-hmm. to every me- to mediumship. Mm-hmm. And what happens is a lot of people are unconscious mediums throughout the day. You know, these these dark entities will come through and yell at their partner and create separation and stuff like that. But as far as who these guys are, I want to share on my birthday last year in February, the Daime had been saying, call on your guides, call on your guides. I could very easily be a medium for this this demonic entity. I, I could never get a guide, and I didn't even believe in guides. I was just like, the Daime is just making this up. There are no guides, because what the guides do, there's a process you bring in the, the dark being for the healing, and then the, he'll usually drink the daime or she, and then you call in a guide, and the guide will like do these things to clear you out. But I never had guides. And then on my birthday last year, that's when one of the facilitators, she said, it's actually the, um, a daughter of Sebastião, um, down in Brazil. She said, call in your guides, and for the first time ever, my hand lifted and then it just started moving and started doing these Tai Chi moves and it was moving energy into my system and cleaning me out and what I really got it was saying here he is and help him and it was funneling energy through me and ever since that moment in mediumship I, my guides come in and this guide comes in and heals me after I bring in dark beings and sometimes he just comes in anyways and heals not just myself but these the this is what I love. It's, it's not just us. We're part of a team. So we're here in physical space, and pr- we, we have a really important role because we're the bridge between the lower and the upper. These high vibrational beings cannot reach to the dark astral stuff. They have to have kind of like a, a tunnel. And so they can grab the dark beings and bring them to the light. And some of the dark beings even come bound because they come tied up. 
because they're they're too violent. Hmm. And the guy, so this guide, what what I what he's now doing in a lot of works is he will. It's white magic. That's what this is, you know. And he will heal the salau too, the the healing space. He'll send golden energy to to the entire room to heal people. Uh, you know, lights and stuff. But you have to surrender because as soon, you know, what I did in the last work is like for the first time he was sending out beautiful gold energy to the whole room, and I got in my head. I'm like, that's so cool. Mm, yeah. Immediately lost the connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Number that's also a rule, not number one, but you know, if you go in your head, there's you lost the mediumship. I cut the connection, yeah. and and so on that day that I was also told. You've been hesitating. It's time to take the name Talat on. It was I was initiated through the International Sufi Order. It means the Rising Sun. Having been through so much darkness, I feel like it's an appropriate name for me. And so from that moment on, I, I've been using that as my my name. And so the Sufi Order is one thing. Then the Santo Daime Church is another thing. And uh, but now you you know you feel strongly enough about the Sufi thing to have taken on a Sufi name. Um, are the, is your Sufi teacher cool with the whole Santo Daime thing? I left the Sufi order after being initiated. Um, oh, okay. Because they didn't know, they didn't know how to deal with a demon. Mm. You know, they love him. You know, help transform. But there's no techniques. There was no process. I, I have a great respect for the Daime for being able to do what no other modality I've run across, even ayahuasca, has been able to do. Okay, and this daime thing—is this something you have to go to Brazil to participate in, or are there little chapters in the in the states? Uh, you know, there's some around the world. Um, it's legal. It's legal in Oregon. They they fought for it there, so people could probably find out about it in Oregon and do it there. So, what do you do? Commute to Brazil or Oregon? Or? Um, uh, you, you know, no comment. I see what you mean. Okay. Um, and tell us about um, Evolver and Reality Sandwich. Okay, yeah. So at the end of The Electric Jesus, you know, I used to be this activist, and I wanted to get into what might be called mystical activism. You know, I didn't want to just be initiated. I wanted to put this into the world and also maybe help other people that were going through similar processes. And so I met Daniel Pinchbeck, Ken Jordan, and Michael Robinson, and right as they were starting up this web magazine, and it was exactly what I was looking for. It's like an intersection of all things consciousness, because I feel like a lot of people have like one branch, and we wanted something that tracked like all of them. So it was like digital democracy, uh, alternative currency, yoga, shamanism, plant medicine, design science, you know, visionary science. All these things come together in this one place. So that's the web magazine and. Being a media activist, you know, for my book, I was really sick of sending things through the mainstream and having them crush the essence or be really cynical. And I'm just really grateful we now have these cheap open source platforms and stuff to, you know, you don't have to pay, you have $10,000 to do a print run of a magazine anymore. So that was Reality Sandwich, and very quickly an activated community was developed. A bunch of leaders and writers uh, started rising up. Maybe one of the bigger ones is Charles Eisenstein, who wrote this great book, Sacred Economics. I don't know if he's been on the show, but he'd be, he'd be a good one. He's brilliant. Um, and then we, we, we ended up having a book print, too. It's called Evolver Editions with a lot of these leaders. 
But what we saw is people wanted to meet in physical space. They didn't want to just do this online. They wanted to create these transformational communities. So uh, Daniel came up with the name of all our spores because it's like this mycelial interconnected network uh, where we share. It's in intelligence sharing across um, uh, this network. And we host monthly events on all the different topics I've mentioned. Um, a lot of them will do things like permaculture gardens or uh, startup time banks. Or the Baltimore started up their own local currency called the B Note. It's now in, I think, 200 stores. So we have 50 regional groups that do this. If people are interested in starting one up, um, you can just find me through the Evolver Network site, and we'd be happy to get you started. And, oh, can I say one more thing on that, Rick? Yeah, sure, anything. Being a first-time author and having these spores is a blessing. And I welcome you, like, uh, I'm not sure where you live, so I'd love to hook you up with one of the spores for some speaking engagements. But, you know, I have pretty much packed houses. I live in Iowa, Fairfield, Iowa. Iowa, yeah, that's a little tougher. Probably Chicago would be the closest thing. Yeah, yeah. Our Chicago spores isn't as strong as some others. But it, it gave me... Um, you know, I got to travel and have full full houses every night because of this. And I'm, I'm not the only one. All these film screenings and book tours, we've created an alternative distribution network for this, which I'm very excited about. Cool. <clears throat> um, what was I going to say? I don't remember. But um, anything else in your head? Because I just went blank. <laughs> I think uh, no. I think we've covered a lot of great topics, you know, in this time period. Yeah, no, really. And oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Um, do you know uh, Dr. Kurt, Kurt Johnson, who lives in uh, in New York? No, he's a great guy. I interviewed him a few weeks ago. You might want to check out his interview. But um, he has just written a book called "The Coming Interspiritual Age," and uh, he's you know like a thirty-year-old. A 30 year older version of you in terms of wanting to uh, well, might, maybe minus the ayahuasca but wanting to uh, bring together all these different uh, things and recognizing that all the types of things you just mentioned you know permaculture and different monetary systems and all that are, are symptomatic of a new spiritual new type of spirituality which is you know like you're saying towards the beginning of your book and I experienced this back in the Vietnam era when I was a new meditator and uh, people were protesting against the Vietnam War and and I thought eh it's so superficial they're not really going to have much of an effect you know these people just seem to be egotistical and crazy a lot of them and and what everyone should meditate because that's deep that's the, the level at which change really occurs and of course they would look at me and my type and think hey you're just sitting on your butt you're not going to have affect any sort of change and you kind of went through that with your activist phase um, but now I kind of realize all levels of all levels are needed you know and that spirituality is not exclusive of political action for instance and vice versa you know p political action without the spiritual foundation can become ineffectual and, and you're just angry and you're not really getting much done so um, uh, in terms of the uh, wrapping up this point the, I think we're evolving into a time now where which is inclusive and which recognizes and your, your evolver.net is an example of this which recognizes that uh, you know, a very multifaceted approach to spirituality is uh, is needed 
um, so you can riff on that a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know where I see this, like you were talking about, where activism meets spirituality too, is the Occupy movement. Exactly. Yeah. Kurt it, was very involved in that, by the way. Yeah, in like I remember 2004, man, activists did not talk about spirituality. You know, that was no no. That was for the freaks. That was not serious work. Exactly. For them, right. right? Now they were doing meditation flash labs. I heard tons of people talking about ayahuasca in Zuccotti Park. I was, yeah, Deepak I Chopra play. came there and spoke and all. Yeah. Yeah, but there's they that there's still a lot of work to be done because mm -hmm. the confrontation with the police, this cat and mouse that they've been playing for years, was still going on, and I don't think they had to get kicked out of Zuccotti Park. I I think they all these people didn't need to get arrested, but they just. If someone, and of course I could be that person, so I'm just as guilty because I'm busy with Evolver in this. I didn't say, you know what, we need to have some nonviolent communication workshops between police and organizers. We need to, there's forgiveness circles you can do, which I'm not sure if police would be open to it, but right. man, it, it would just, it's basic stuff. You know, you, you talked about we're talking about the dual world. You know, like maybe this is something I want to end the call on is we've been in a civil war for so long. You know, the angels and the demons, the this race and that race and, and you know, the daime, it's a real lesson. I think this is every spiritual tradition it is um authentic spiritual tradition is we're family. And we're here to heal, like we need to end the civil war between the family and create union so that's what I think in within ourselves the civil war in ourselves and I think that's the great project of this unification and what I see as a, a dimensional shift of the heart is is um, is that union union of the family in seeing ourselves as brothers and sisters yeah there's a Sanskrit phrase which I can't pronounce but it's, it's basically the world is my family hmm. awesome Cool. Well, that is a good note to end on. Um, so this has been a lot of fun, as I knew it would be. <laughs> and I, I'm kind of, you know, very impressed with the work you're doing, and uh, I, I hope it continues to thrive, and I'm sure it will. Um, and uh, I will be linking to your various websites, I guess, Evolver.net, Reality Sandwich, if you want me to link to that one, and uh, Talat Healing. Yeah. And so um, people listening to this, if they happen to be listening while driving in their car or something and can't write it down, if you just go to batgap.com, you'll see um, uh, Talat's uh, section on, on my site and all, a, a bio of him and links to his various sites through which you can get in touch with him if you wish. All right. So um, uh, any more comments before I make some general concluding remarks? Or? Uh, no, you know, I'll just I'll conclude here with me and just say, Rick, thank you so much. I, I really, it's nice to have someone that's, yeah, I feel like a little bit of a mentor. I'm going to check out Fireside Theaters and like, I, I just like how you're holding the flame for us and the space you hold. It's been really fun. I've learned a lot. So thank you uh, for readers out, or for readers, for listeners out there. So I, um you know, if if you pick up a copy of the Electric Jesus, and um, I'll send you just you got make sure to say it's it's through this program. Send me an email, 
And as a gift, I'll send you a 25-minute chakra activation MP3. It's, it has sound healing. It has breath work. It works with the chakras. So I think it's a nice little gift. For, and I, I think you'll enjoy the book. It seems like Rick did. Cool. So I'll, I'll link to your book on Amazon from backgap.com. So if, if somebody buys it, you want them to get in touch with you and say, I bought the book because I heard about it on Backgap? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, just send me an e-receipt, and I'll send you the, the chakra activation. Okay, great. So to conclude then, um, you've been listening to or watching uh, a interview with Jonathan Talat Phillips. Um, this is one in an ongoing series of interviews. Uh, I do a new one each week. If you've enjoyed this and would like to listen to others, go to backgap.com and you'll see all 160-something of them archived. And you could also subscribe to the YouTube channel and you'll see them all on that channel. Although the early ones I did were all split up into 10-minute segments because I had that limitation on YouTube. Now I can put the whole shebang up there in one chunk. Um, if you'd like to subscribe to the channel, YouTube will notify you every time I put up a new one. Or you can go to backgap.com and, and click on a tab and subscri subscribe to email notification for each new interview. There's also a discussion group on BatGap that um, crops up around each interview, and those become quite lively and stimulating sometimes. There is also a link to an audio podcast if you'd like to just get things on your iPod and listen while you ride your bike or whatever. Um, I, all kinds of interesting stories about what people do while they listen to this. One guy tells me he, he hikes in the Himalayas on a regular basis and, and listens to Bat Gap. Another guy rides a horse in Arizona. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of dishes washed while listening to this program. So there's that. And there's also a, a, a donate button, which you know I kind of don't make a big fuss about, but it really is important for to, and it is actually hopefully enabling me to shift into doing this more full time and not eat up all my time um, just making a living. Uh, so click on that and donate if you feel inclined. So thanks for listening and watching, and we'll see you next week.